This is Recorded Future, Inside Threat Intelligence for Cybersecurity. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Episode 129 of the Recorded Future podcast. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire. On this week's show, we welcome back Lauren Zabrick. Last time she joined us, she was a senior intelligence analyst at Recorded Future, but she's since taken on the role of director of the cybersecurity project at Harvard's Belfer Center. She shares the mission of her organization, the role she thinks it has to play on the national and international stage, and why making sure everyone has a seat at the table leads to better, safer outcomes. Stay with us. So the Belfer Center is short for the Belfer Center for Science and International Affairs. Um, And it's really a university think tank where we focus on far-reaching issues, both technologically and, you know, with the application um, in international affairs, really. So looking at a lot of issues, cybersecurity is just one of those portfolios. Um, Within this arena, you know, I have um, responsibility for more of a a broader look at cybersecurity. And then Julia looks at the China cyber policy aspect of it. My colleague Maria runs the Defending Digital Democracy Project, and that really focuses on tools and legislation for election security and and not only the, you know the the hard kind of security aspects of that but also looking at the disinformation piece too other projects in the Belfer Center are looking at like the future of diplomacy technology and public purpose uh, we have a Russia matters project so the different projects really span the gamut of really thorny international security and affairs issues, but also looking at these emerging technologies in in science. So how does the information you gather and the reports that you generate, how do those get spread out into the world and, and who consumes them? So we have an excellent communications team at the Belfer Center uh, run by Josh Burke. And, you know, this being a university think tank, Um, We have a lot of students that work on these projects. They do a lot of the the research, both with staff and with the faculty here. So you'll see if you browse the Belfer Center website, you'll see a number of publications such as Belfer Papers, all the way up to um, some of the books that the the faculty actually publish. Um, And so we have a number of uh, really amazing faculty here, which is really exciting. Looking at Belfer papers, um, both kind of short ones and long ones, as well as op-eds and, and journal articles. There's a, there's a journal here called International Security. They're pretty hard um, or, or cross-cutting. Um, so, for instance, Eric Rosenbach and Schumann just released this paper that is a really insightful look into China's three perspectives theory on the use of the internet and looking at how those aspects differ between both countries, but also looking at um, finding areas of, of common interest. So I definitely encourage you to, to check those products out. In terms of the cybersecurity project itself, which you were, you're the director of, where does that sit kind of in the pecking order of things? And I, I guess, you know, where is cybersecurity 
rank in terms of, as you said, the, the thorny issues that we're dealing with internationally these days? I think that it kind of cuts across all of the issues because obviously, traditionally, a lot of our international affairs issues have played out in the physical realm. But now, obviously, we are seeing those grand geopolitical and, and other international issues play out in the digital realm. Um, and so we see aspects of all of the issues really that apply here. You know, it's not only internationally as well, but also domestically. Um, you've seen kind of how complex a patchwork that our national or domestic cybersecurity landscape is. We seek to advise on policy and legislation in certain areas, but then also try to provide some some tools as well for the practitioners on the front lines. And so what is your day-to-day like? What, what types of things are you typically working on? <laughs> uh, it kind of varies. Um, so this last week, I'm actually, I've been, been working hard on a speech that I'm going to be giving at an international security forum next week. Um, in Germany. So I've been trying to work on that. But also, um, you know, we host events. So we do uh, a lunchtime speaker series. Um, So sometimes the preparation and execution of that will take priority. Often we'll have meetings with either notable figures or or really just people who are coming to the center to to talk about these issues too. So it, it really varies day to day. Now, uh, you mentioned um, that the folks that work with you there, your team, the, the three of you, uh, it caught my, uh, caught my eye that uh, the three of you are women. Um, and I'd, I'd hazard to say that it's unusual to have a, a team of folks in the cybersecurity uh, lane where all of them are women. One of the things you and I have chatted about before is, is the importance of, of these opportunities for women in cybersecurity. Absolutely. And... It was not an accident that I think that Eric chose all women to run these projects. He's very committed to advancing um, the role of women in these very serious and important security matters. Through this process, um, I've, I've had kind of a, a realization of, of our role here, um, or, or of women's roles in, in this industry, um, especially because a lot of people are new. A lot of people, um, you know, do come to cybersecurity from doing other things in the past. One particular story that I think about is Julia Vu, who runs our China Cyber Policy Initiative, hosted a, you know, we're hosting a, a track to dialogue with the Chinese Institute for International and Strategic Studies, the CIISS. And within that track, too, we hosted a number of meetings, especially this past April. They also went over to China um, in August as well. But I was actually able to take part in the meetings in April. And it really struck me when I saw that most of the people around the table were women, including um, the main POC on the Chinese side. She's a retired general. Um, And so especially at one of those dinners, we sat around and we talked, obviously, through a, an interpreter, but about personal issues. And I think the fact that we were able to kind of come together, talk about these issues, but also, you know, 
still be very personal and, and share some really um, shared experiences, I guess you could say, in life. Um, I felt enabled and empowered to ask certain questions, certain policy questions that were important to me. And the general on that side said, you know, I, I can see that this issue is very important to you, and so I would like to keep this on the table to address later on. And that actually, I thought, was a really huge win for me as someone who is new to diplomacy. Um, but, you know, having those, those common experiences, those shared experiences, to come to the table and... Um, feel that you're able to talk about very important issues together, I think was such a, a great example and, and really why we need more women in this industry. And that's not, again, just a, a female thing, but um, but it just really struck me that it was mostly women around the table. Um, and so, you know, what I think about now is this industry, and especially in the policy arena, is is so ripe for development. It needs more people, you know, needs more women here to, to talk about these issues. So, um, so I like to say, we need you. Please, uh, please try to, to work with us. Yeah, that's a really interesting insight. And I, it reminds me, um, you know, we have a uh, women in cybersecurity event that we hold each fall. Um, and uh, shameless plug, Recorded Future has been a sponsor of. Um, but one of the things I've heard is this is a event that is um, primarily for women. Um, and, you know, I'm allowed to go, but really just because I'm the host of the CyberWire. Otherwise, it's it's basically, you know, women only. Um, and what I've heard from the women who've attended is that how much they appreciate that they feel as though they can have conversations that they could not have in more mixed environments. Um, and that was a really interesting insight for me because what that provided me with was um, the knowledge to hang back to where I would, I would naturally sort of try to insert myself into a conversation or a group of people. But the knowledge that I might be changing the type of conversation that could happen merely by my presence um, was an interesting insight for me, certainly, you know, revealed some of my own inherent biases. Um, and so you, you, your, your description of this really reminds me of that in a way. Yeah, I think so. I think um, when women are empowered to come to the table and actually have those discussions, then I think the, the outcomes um, are just that much stronger. I like to extrapolate this example and you know, I apologize if this is getting a little bit off tangent, but taking this example um, and really, again, extrapolating it to the larger piece of national security, um, when we don't have women at the table making very important decisions, I think we all suffer. And so, you know, I was recently asked well, why do we need groups like this? Why do we need um, groups that are really focused on um, empowering women or, or talking about these issues? And my answer to that is, you know, when there are very specific challenges that we face. Um, recently, I did a paper on um, looking at the issue of maternity leave in the intelligence community. And what I had found was hiring was 
on par between men and women, you know, especially in, in uh, the early stages of their career. But in the mid-career ranks, um, the number of women sharply drop. And so what that means is the number of women in leadership roles is much lower than that of men, because obviously if you're losing all these women in, in those mid-career ranks, then there, you know, not a lot of women will be advancing. And so you have this situation where uh, you just don't have a lot of women at the table to make those really important decisions. And, and as such, I think um, national security as a whole is, uh, suffers, basically. So it really comes down to some really practical issues. So things like paid maternity or paid family leave that really help women um, feel supported and enable them to advance in their career. What is your advice for uh, those those women who want a seat at the table, either coming up through school or perhaps someone who's thinking about a, a mid-career shift? What sort of uh, tips would you have for them? My advice for women who might feel intimidated or might feel that they don't have a seat at that table is to tell them that you absolutely do. You absolutely belong there. Um, and now there are a, a number of... Um, organizations um, that really seek to promote that aspect. So getting women, you know, sponsorship and and mentorship and resources and things like that, that, you know, didn't really exist back when I was kind of coming up through the ranks. I, I think I talked about this in our last podcast, but there was a time in my life when I, I was going to um, Georgetown and I took this class on women in national security and leadership. And I had never really taken anything like that before. I never really, you know, had had even thought about these issues. But my the professor there, who's now a very good friend of mine, you know, her whole, I guess, central thesis here was that our innate skills and attributes and qualities, I think where in the past we were sold, kind of told that they weren't right for this world, are actually very important and that we should bring our full selves to these issues. Things like vulnerability, for instance, um, those are really important aspects for the conduct of national security. Um, And so I think reading certain things, uh, reading certain books and, and talking to people, I think are, you know, it's very important to do that. Um, and reaching out to people. And so, like I said, these, these networking groups that have popped up in the last couple of years, um, such as the NatSec Girl Squad, such as a group called Command After Next, which is run by my friend Jacqueline Tame. Um, these are organizations that you know, seek to provide that mentorship and those networking opportunities for women who um, you know, are interested in this space but also are, you know, have those feelings of maybe imposter syndrome or feeling those challenges as a woman or, or even, you know, as a mother. So I would definitely recommend seeking those out, having that networking, that, that camaraderie, if you will. Yeah, I, I guess the, the opportunities are growing and there's more um, opportunities for mentorship than ever before. I, I, hesitate to say that you know I didn't really have too much of that as I was coming up through the ranks and and that really inspired me to want to create something like that at the agency 
where I was working. And then later, when I went to Recorded Future, we started a, a, a women's mentorship initiative there, and, and that's continuing to this day, which I'm quite proud of. You know, my central theme for this year at um, in the Cyber Project is cybersecurity is national security. Hmm. Um, and I, I felt that I was recently validated because um, we went down to the CISA summit last week and the acting secretary of DHS actually said in his remarks, cybersecurity is homeland security. Um, so I thought that was that was really interesting. <laughs> but, you, uh, you, you jolted up in your seat and <laughs> had exactly. a big smile on your face, right? <laughs> I did, yes. I, I actually put that on our Instagram. Um, and if I could plug that, we have an unofficial Instagram for my team here. Um, it's called the underscore cyber dream team. Um, and that is myself, Julia and Maria. And just looking at all the, um, all the crazy things that we're, we're doing here in our quest to influence cyber and digital legislation and policy. But, and that's why I talk about, you know, the women in national security piece, because cybersecurity is national security and, and therefore, you know, these issues all, um, are quite important. And um, everything from workforce development, capacity building, for instance, um, but also personal cybersecurity. And then, again, looking at the, the patchwork of organizations, laws, actors, et cetera, within the United States and then you know, further throughout the, the world. I think these issues are all so interdependent. And it's really such a, a complex ball of issues, if you will. Um, and they all they all kind of feed off of each other. So especially with that women piece that I, I think is really important to address. Our thanks to Lauren Zabrick from the Cybersecurity Project at Harvard's Belfer Center for joining us. Don't forget to sign up for the Recorded Future Cyber Daily email, where every day you'll receive the top results for trending technical indicators that are crossing the web, Cyber news, targeted industries, threat actors, exploited vulnerabilities, malware, suspicious IP addresses, and much more. You can find that at recordedfuture.com slash intel. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll subscribe and help spread the word among your colleagues and online. The Recorded Future podcast production team includes coordinating producer Monica Tadros, executive producer Greg Barrett, the show is produced by The Cyberwire with editor John Petrick, executive producer Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.